pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. We're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> when will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hi, and welcome to Angreement with, with Michelle and Catherine. We're two lifelong friends who found ourselves unable to communicate productively as the world seemed to fall apart. So what did we do instead? We made a podcast. Okay, so hey, Michelle, welcome to our inaugural podcast. So Let's explain what, what this is, why we're I'm doing so this. I'm so excited because the reason that we're doing this is that we had been having these, what we called walk and talks that we've been doing for a really long time because our, a lot of our friendship has been long distance. So that's been yeah. one of the ways that we've kept up over the years. Walking, talking, it's good for our health, good for us. Until the world fell apart and we found ourselves no longer walking and talking, but just sort of screaming at one with one another. I don't know what's the right term for it. At or with one another, heavy sighs, just heavy sighs, loaded silences. Our final walk and talk, just I think we both ended with like, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't, (laughs) goodbye, friend, oh my friend. (laughs) I hope Bye. I see you again on the yeah. other side. Exactly. We the, the walk and talks were ways we worked through things. We had serious conversations. We had light conversations. But with the whole world on fire, as you said, it just seemed like we weren't allowed to talk about anything that wasn't um, important, that wasn't pressing And we were just really, we wanted to, I think, be light and lift each other up, but also address the fact that the, that everything is going to hell and everything is sad. And we just couldn't do both in part because we felt the exact same way. (laughs) So there was no, there was no productive tension. It was just, we were both angry, but we were completely in agreement about it. Yes. And this is something that we have had in the past. I have the reason for the name of the podcast agreement comes from that, but it also comes from something we've done a long time where we will talk with each other. We will get so excited in agreeing with each other that we start to talk very loudly and, and fast. To out, too, too fast. Like ah, to outsiders, it looks like we're having a fight. Yes. I'm sure that they would think that we were absolutely battling one another, which I think is also a great place to add that it's a big deal for us to be taking on an official project together. Because when we were in elementary <laughs> school, we were banned from ever taking on another official project together by our teacher because we were so passionately not always 
agreeing, but we were so yes, passionately. That was, that was a disagreement, not agreement. That was an angry disagreement. Yes. Shout out to our um, gifted and learning program teacher who said, you are never, never allowed to work together again. You fight so badly, but you know what? You know where that fighting got us. First prize in a in history day. It did. It did. So, we we fought fuck. our way to the top. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Fuck her. She's an amazing teacher. She's still to this day one of the reasons I am a teacher. So we have a long history of since we've been friends for so long. We've had some very different kinds of fights, like young child fights about what are we going to call our environmental group. Um, what are we going to call this podcast? We didn't fight. We had those heavy sides of emptiness. Or, and I think that there's something about the fact that we've kind of put these little boxes to have this very specific structure that just makes it feel more manageable. So the way that we're doing this podcast is that each of us, without having consulted with the other, comes in with three things, a weird thing, a pop culture thing, and a researchy thing. And then we each share them, and then we try to find a way to draw some connections between them by the end of the episode. So that's sort of our goal. We are going to share six things with each other because we, like you said, we don't know and with you and just make them all fit together in a beautiful box because here's a space where you can do that or you can't do it with the world. We can put everything in agreement. We can make it fit. And uh, if we get angry while we're along the way, all the better. (laughs) We're all the worse. (laughs) <laughs> we'll so find welcome out. to Angriement. So my something weird is actually has a real personal connection here because the reason that I encountered my something weird is because I was driving to your childhood home. You went to my childhood home? When was this? Last weekend. I didn't know this. How is my child at home? It was fine. It was empty, which is why I was going there. Your mom asked if we wanted to use the pool while they were going to be gone. So so my whole family is driving to your childhood home, (laughs) Um, which is honestly, I would just stop my something weird there, right? Since you didn't know it, but I think that's done, Dustin. (laughs) Your weird thing is, hey, guess what I did this week? I went to your childhood home without your knowledge because, and I'm sorry, can we back up? You went to my childhood home. The reason you went is because it was empty? (laughs) Correct. That's totally normal, right? (laughs) We went because it was empty. We had to case it. Um, I wanted to steal all your childhood memories. So weird. Love it. Okay, next. Okay, so you went because it was empty to use the pool. Which is like the first time that we've left. I mean, so my husband has been driving to work occasionally, like a couple times a week, mostly he's working from home. But I have not left like at all. I walked across the street to vote in the primaries. And that's the only building I've been inside of since March. So it was already a really surreal experience for me to be like driving away anyway. But we've been around, I live in St. Louis. We live in the St. Louis region. All of the playgrounds are like crime scene taped because they're still closed and you're not allowed to get on them. And it's just really sad. And like a lot of the places that we shop at aren't letting people inside the building. So they've like 
boarded up parts of their door and just have like a little slit that they'll hand you your stuff out of, right? So you can like go to the ice cream shop, but you can't go in the ice cream shop. And then like a hand will just appear out and give you, you know, an ice cream cone. Um, the, the local grocery store just has a little oh, window. Yeah, so. that. <laughs> so this this is the environment that I'm coming from. I, I just, I need. You're coming from a city full of windows that just hand you ice cream. Who yes. would want to leave that? <laughs> And as we're driving out and as we get out of the city, it's just the most surreal experience because I look out and there's like a mall and it's just full of cars. Like the parking lot is full. And then there was like a golf, like a a place where you practice your like golf swings. I don't know. I don't know. I don't golf, but there's a line of people waiting in the door. None of them are wearing a mask. As we get further along, there's just fields full of children playing sports and just tons and tons of spectators sitting, you know, right next to each other. And it was just the, you know, I go from like the playground has caution tape on it because you and your child cannot safely use the playground by yourselves. Like a crime scene is covered in police crime scene tape. To a field of at least 500 people all crammed shoulder to shoulder. In a matter of how long? How many minutes of driving was this? 30 minutes. So it was just, it was one of the most surreal things I've ever felt because it just, it's like, what, which reality is the reality? No, which one is it? Is it the ice cream cone hand land? We're like, we can't, we can't see each other. Take your ice cream and go, please. Or is it this bucolic fields full of sports teams? I mean, oh, no, that's crazy making. That just makes you feel crazy. So so that's my something weird. (laughs) And the first time you leave, it's like, oh, no, the real world. Like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this isn't happening. But of course it is. I mean, I don't want to imply. I don't want to imply. Um, It's very real. But I also should say that my childhood home is also your childhood home. Well, no, not that we live together. It's the same the town. town. The town, yes. So you're driving like from your new home in, in the city of St. Louis back. And it's, oh, that has to be surreal. It very much was. It was a very strange experience. Was it? Though I will say that I didn't see anything because from within our childhood home, I never like went into the town proper. So no, I didn't see any bad behavior there or strange behavior there because I didn't see anybody. So, but just, just in the bucolic fields. Yes. Tisk, tisk. And the malls. Tisk, tisk to them. <laughs> Which I mean, I don't really want to go to a mall regardless. So I don't want to go on to a mall on a good safe day. I love this excuse. I no, when okay. I was trying to come up with my something weird, I was like, well, there's so many. <laughs> yeah, no. I just, yeah, okay, I like that. So we're going to, so we can sum that up as like bucolic field drive to childhood home from yes. ice cream. <laughs> yes. I'm from sorry, I'm so hand. hung up. I'm so hung up on the ice cream from the window. In like medieval Italy, they would have little windows that would fit a wine glass. Yes, like I saw some of those. We're bringing yeah. that back. Yeah. We got, I mean, but with ice cream is so much better. Because we know what matters. Yes, exactly. Okay, so you want want to hear my weird thing? Yes, I'm ready. My weird thing, I feel like um, we just have to thank my parents. Shout out to Catherine's parents for all the weirdness. 
um, even though that might be spoilers. But my weird thing is that I received in the mail a no return address, padded envelope. And when I opened it, it was full of just loose peanuts. And of course, you've seen all these news stories of these like bizarre seeds and people wondering if they're like some sort of warfare. Okay. So you have yeah, a bunch of loose peanuts. Warfare from afar. <laughs> um, so I opened a bag of dusty old loose peanuts and say, I don't know who, who this is from, what this is for. Do I need to call the authorities? And I kind of set it outside. I put it in my backyard and yeah, was worried. Should I be concerned about these dusty peanuts? And um, a few days later, my mom said, did you get the package? And I assumed she had sent me something delightful, some sort of care package. But no, she sent me a bag of loose peanuts. And it, it was very sweet because there is a reason for it, which is that um, there are, I live in Colorado and we have really big, big squirrels. The squirrels here are so big. And I sound like a crazy person when I'm like, we have really big squirrels, I love them. But they're the size of normal size cats. If you saw a cat the size of the squirrel, you'd be like, okay, that's a healthy cat. And so it took some getting used to, but I'm obsessed with the squirrels here. I love them. And um, as of late, there's been some squirrel fighting. A squirrel lost half its tail. There was sadly a dead squirrel in our yard. We don't know what Scandalous. Very dramatic. It's very upsetting. We don't know what happened. And now the squirrels aren't coming to our yard. I used to feed them scraps. Well, yeah, you've clearly some squirrel sent another squirrel a message, and everyone's like, that you don't go there anymore, right? Bad place. And so, um, because I would feed them like my apple cores and table scraps every day, my mom was very sad. I'm like, they're not coming. My squirrel friends are gone. So she had the solution which was for some reason she had a bunch of old peanuts just laying around, threw them in a bag, sent them USPS. God bless the USPS who will just let you go to the post office with loose <laughs> mail some peanuts. <laughs> Got some peanuts to mail. And she sent them my way and uh, I put them in the yard and it did the trick and all the squirrels are back. So basically for this in the squirrel world, peanuts override the threat of murder is, is where we're at with this. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> Fun fact. Peanuts are worth getting murdered for, worth dying for. And All right. so we're not worth murdering for. There's not been any new dead squirrels. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Yes. And and I should follow this up with now my husband has um been buying bags of peanuts. This has become a problem now that um the loose bag wasn't enough. And now we're, we're up to like a bag a week of peanuts. So this is a cycle you're not going to be able to stop at this point. You're, never, okay. never. Also fun fact, whoever um, lives in my house after me, apologies, because I have forgotten to say, I put all the food and scraps into a beautiful raised garden box that whoever had our house before us clearly gardened in. And so if anyone attempts to garden in that garden box, which is what it is for, the squirrels are gonna eat everything in it. Cause I've just been like, here is your, here is your feeding place squirrels. And so if you grow anything, that's like, that's, I've trained them to eat it. 
what's the life expectancy of a squirrel? I wonder how long will this knowledge remain or can they pass it down? Will there, will there be like a generation to generation? Like mm. this is the food box children. It, as soon as we learn how to make it happy again, it will once again bring us food. Oh, I hope so. I hope this is some like some biblical level stuff where yeah, the generational knowledge of the magic food box will never be forgotten. And it will be a cursed place for whoever has this house forever and ever and ever. I'll say, why can't we grow things here? It's the blessed squirrel food box. That's why. So that's my weird thing. Peanuts in the mail. Done. So my pop culture thing is that we recently watched Escape Room from 2019, because I never get to watch movies when they come out because I have young children, but Escape Room from 2019 and then Apartment One Bedroom, which is also from 2019. So these two films. And have you seen either or both? I have not. I have seen Apartment One Brr. I'm glad you said it first. (laughs) Apartment One BR, One B, yeah, One Bedroom. I've seen the title and I've been too afraid to say it aloud. So thank you for doing that. But I have not seen either. Do tell. So neither of them, I can't, I can't like recommend them in <laughs> the sense that I think they're good movies. Like both of them at the end, we were like, eh, I don't regret having watched that. I've watched worse things. Like, um, but so they're both these horror movies and they have kind of this similar ethos to them. And I don't want to give too many spoilers, especially about the apartment, one bedroom, but I'm trying to figure out, so my pop culture thing is this feels like a particular subgenre of psychological horror movie, and I want to know, like, what should I call it? So I would put Escape Room, The Cabin in the Woods. Have you seen that one? Yes, I love okay. that one. The Invitation? You know that one? I have not seen. Okay. And then Would You Rather? Ooh, that what's one? that? Have not seen. Okay, don't watch. That's of oh. of these. That is probably the worst one. So, <laughs> all of these is, movies. Is Cabin in the Woods, the best one. Yes, Cabin in the Woods. So, if I had to put these on a spectrum, I would say it's probably Cabin in the Woods, then Escape Room, then Apartment One Bedroom, then The Invitation, then Would You Rather. I might no. I thought about adding It's a Disaster, the Julia Stiles movie. Have you seen that one? No, but I will watch anything with Julia Stiles in it. Just so that one. that one's kind of like a parody and it's sort of, it's, it shares a little bit of overlap with these, but probably not enough to actually count. So like if we, if we defined this subgenre, then maybe we could also talk about It's a Disaster as like a, a spinoff of it, but it's probably not in the, in the subgenre proper, I would say. It's not so, canon. We're not, not canon for this thing, but I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> We're already defining the canon of this unknown genre. I love it. So, but what they all share is that they bring together a bunch of strangers. And in some aspect, there's, there's a existential and, I mean, life-threatening force that they are either working against together or against one another in the face of, right? So like escape room, I think I can say without any spoilers, right? There's these people who are trapped in an escape room and it turns out that the like tricks and stuff are real. And so there's the threat of real death, right? And so who's gonna win the escape room? And would you rather is very similar to that in that it's like some, you find this out very early in the movie. So I don't think this is a spoiler either. There's some like eccentric person has brought a bunch of people to their house, kind of like Clue right? Like 
yeah. has brought brought all these people who do not know each other together and then is making them play a very sadistic game of would you rather so like would you rather um you know stick your head under the have your head held under the water for four minutes or some other thing that will likely kill you right so like and then whoever is left alive at the end wins it's it's very very like kind of shocking and gory for gore's sake which is why I ranked it lowest because I feel like it was it started out with a good psychological premise but it just got really like oh how can we be shocking and it it didn't work Mm, for me but torture porn yeah yeah but all of these share that kind of like bringing people together in this bizarre kind of artificial torture arena and that then they have to decide if they're going to work together or apart and kind of has the reality game aspect of like who can you trust and what allegiances can be built and all of this stuff and I noticed that they're all like the cabin in the woods is the earliest and it's from 2011 and would yeah, you rather I mean, from- even that has it right because spoilers for cabin in the woods sorry everyone um but that's nine years old because it seems like it's a normal horror movie but that too is this 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 kind of superficial not superficial but this artificial structure in which they're all being watched like a reality show right 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 and so i mean i guess like as we're as you're describing it like that i'm like well the hunger games has definitely done that right like kind of merged this reality yeah. show with this horror thing and i just i feel like this has become this subgenre. and so cabin in the woods was 2011 would you rather was 2012 the invitation was 2015 an escape room, an apartment, one bedroom, or 2019. The invitation might not fit in this quite as well because it's not as as much a game, but it is still kind of like an artificial setting for these people who don't know each other very well to have to kind of like play out in. So I don't know. So I got that's my pop culture thing is trying to figure out this this subgenre of psychological horror, and it feels to me like it's kind of a new thing, like. And maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe there have been earlier versions of this that I just haven't seen or don't know about. But it feels like there's quite a few of these now and that it is particularly representative of something about our modern era because there's suddenly a lot of them. There's something there, yeah. Where like you're out of control of your circumstances. You don't know the people around you. And you either work with them or against them. And the, the idea that there's, like, someone who who's in on the joke, so to speak, right? Like, there's someone who's in on whatever it is that's torturing you. And so you have to kind of decide, are you going to try to appease them and hope that that gets you what you want? Or are you going to rebel, right? Do you play their game <laughs> or do you go outside the structure and refuse to play the game. This is some Audrey Lord shit now. The master's tools will never destroy the master's house. And once we realize that, that's the only way to win the game. Boom. <laughs> I mean, so it, it, I mean, it really does feel like it's maybe tapping into our collective insecurities about like what systems can we trust? At a time where I think people are being less questioning all of a sudden. Or questioning in the wrong ways, right? Like you dive into these really bizarre conspiracy theories instead of being like, but the, the, you don't need to, you know, don't think zebras when it's horses, right? Like, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. People, yeah, I misspoke because people aren't less questioning. People are more questioning. And that's why 
so many conspiracy theories are so enticing and popular. Oh yeah. So maybe are these movies a symptom of that or are they causing it? Because if it starts in 2011, there's this paranoia. Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like, because I've only seen the apartment, one bedroom and escape room recently. The rest of these I saw quite a while ago. So I feel like I would need to rewatch them with this connection in mind and kind of think about how, like, what is the message? Because I, again, spoiler for Cabin in the Woods, but if, if that's, if the message is like, do you fight the system or go with it? Like, that's a pretty dark conclusion, right? <laughs> like, Yeah. I mean, we didn't spoil it, but, and we shouldn't, because it's such a good movie. I love that movie. Um, oh, but yeah, it's like, oh, yay, they're fighting the power and it's going to be, and it's, it's not good sometimes. An escape room has kind of a, an ending that does something similar. I, it, it's not as well executed, but I feel like it's getting to the same point. All for defining new, new genres and categorizations of things. Is this like, is this cons- like, not paranoia horror? Cause that's a different thing. That's like the invisible man. Um, that's where like, no one believes me or girl on the train. Right. So it's like, and, and conspiracy is also like a no war thing. So what would this be called if it's like horror based in artifice? It's like, because I think that the the fact that it is so artificially constructed and controlled is a key element. So it's almost like, I mean, it's almost got a touch of that, like the matrix in there, right? Like that, like, how do we yeah. know what's real? How Nothing do we- is real, which is so conspiracy theory. All, a lot of like- harmful conspiracy theories right now are indebted to against against the Wachowski sisters wishes indebted to the matrix with like red pillars and things like that but in this case I mean they're all kind of confirmed right like but I guess it is in the matrix too but it's like it's you don't have to question your sanity because at least midway through the movie you know oh this is the this is the artificial. This is this is what somebody who is in control has constructed for me to have to deal with. There's definitely something about like all your fears being realized as a really satisfying thing. Like, oh, I knew it was true. Yeah. That everything, everything, I knew it was true. So you don't want to be in a torture chamber, but there is something satisfying about like, yep, I was I, right. I knew the game was rigged. I know I it wasn't it wasn't me. <laughs> knew it now now i'm here well i want to come up with a name for it but i think there's something to this right that more and more we want to no matter what your beliefs no matter who you are i think everyone's trusting the powers that be systems of government any system of power less and less and less right and so it makes sense if that's something that is happening in horror and then we have to decide once those systems break down or turn out to be evil, are we going to work within them? Are we going to work with other people? Are we going to fight other people? Are we going to reject them all? Or give up. I think or give up. Do people give up in it? I, th- I, I would have to, again, rewatch some of them, but I do think there's definitely uh, a kind of apathy. There's sort of a stereotypical apathetic character who once they're faced with the reality of it all is just like what are we even doing this for so we have to go deep in this right like what happens to the apathetic character 
what happens if they don't play the game? What happens to oh, the hero? What happens good. to the, yeah. Who is the hero? What does the hero do? Is it always, you would assume that, oh, we have to work together and then you win. But I bet, mm, I bet there are some movies where that's not the case. I don't think we're going to solve it all today, but that is my, that's what I've been mulling over. So let's, what invite, is, let's invite the listeners, please let us know. Do you have a name for this genre of horror? Do you have any movies to add to this new horror genre we've made, right? Folk folk horrors had its moment. What is this called? Like Midsummer, things like that. Folk yeah. Horror. Over. Now we're into elaborate. I almost called it Audrey Lord horror. <laughs> Audrey Lord so horror. Wrong. I'm so sorry, Audrey Lord. Apologies to the amazing Audrey Lord. Um, okay, so my pop culture, Michelle, we did not talk about this beforehand. We did not. But my pop culture item is also escape room related. It is the television show Celebrity Escape Room. And I do want to preface this because you chose an escape room movie. I'm choosing an escape room TV show. I feel like it's an important background to note that we have done quite a few escape rooms together. We have. We at least like four or five, I think, at this point. Yeah, I would say at least four. I had never done an escape room. I had no desire to. I thought people that did escape rooms were weird before you suggested we do one. And I'm not sure we disproved that particular theory. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Okay. But we did an escape room together. And oh my goodness. I love them so much. I love doing them with you, especially. And what was the first escape room we did? The one in Asheville. We were spoiled because that one was so, um, he just cared so much. Like, I feel like that guy would have been running escape rooms no matter, like, if he was getting paid or not. And it just, I think he found his passion when they had the seance. Do you remember where we had to shout? Yeah. Shout out to amazing pub cycle in Asheville, North Carolina. No, this is okay. And I want to talk about that seance. I'm going to talk about it because I feel like, um, basically the, the first escape room we ever did together was a horror haunted house theme. And at one point you had to find a set amount of items you had to lay them out in a certain order and then you everyone in the room had which was you and me and both our husbands had to hold hands and have a seance it was a really theatrical escape room it was so cool I thought all escape rooms were like that not all escape rooms created equally some are more like here's a math puzzle just go sit in the corner push the button with the answer right like (laughs) But that really got into my head and my soul to where now I I think there are different kinds of escape room players. I'm definitely the like embodied theatrical escape room player, which drives a lot of people bonkers to where we did an Alice in Wonderland escape room. And there was some clue that was like about being small. And I'm like, well, obviously we all need to pretend that we're small. And I'm like, everybody get down, get down on the ground. Get on your knees because we need to be small. There's another time where in the same run, I'm like, we have to have a tea party. None of those things were correct. <laughs> and I just looked like a lunatic. So, But I'm sure you make it way more entertaining for the people who are observing, like the people working at the escape room. Because Yeah, yeah. If I was in the horror, I don't know how I would do in an evil horror movie escape room, though. Be like, oh, now we have to murder each other. <laughs> 
It's fine. It's fine, everybody. (laughs) I can do it. It's not. ah, You're dead. (laughs) No, but. Um, so yeah, we have a long history of doing escape rooms together for better or worse. There was one that was meant for like 10 people. That was so hard. Michelle, everyone, Michelle used her mom voice on me. (laughs) It wasn't intentional. (laughs) That made it worse than it wasn't intentional. Michelle was so disappointed in me. I dropped a key down a drain, um, five times and Michelle was just used her mom voice, but it was Catherine. (laughs) Just, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Just disappointed. Just anyway, <laughs> I do, I do, um, it is beyond depressing to me that Celebrity Escape Room, which is hosted by Jack Black, who I have no feelings about one way or the other, um, but he does a good job in it, only is one episode. There's only one episode of it in the world. It was for a charity. Um, and then it lists who's in it, which is Ben Stiller, Courtney Cox, Lisa Kudrow, and oh, you're gonna kill me because you love Parks and Recreation. Is it Adam Scott, the guy who plays Ben? Yes. So it's Adam Scott, Lisa Kudrow, Courtney Cox. I feel like I saw a clip from this. Now that you're saying these names out loud, I feel like I saw a clip of them solving a puzzle and people making fun of how bad they were at it. It was a hard escape room, and it was amazing. And I think this is the best idea for a television show ever for celebrities because you learn so much about a person by how they play an escape room. And there's always someone, and maybe we'll have to look for this when we do our horror movie thing. There's always someone who takes charge, right? There's the person who's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then there's someone who does that passive aggressively. There's someone who thinks they're right and passive aggressively takes charge there's someone who takes charge secretly. Do you know what I mean? The person Yeah. Like they're just charge. gently guiding people in the way they need them to go, but you can yes. if you're watching it you can tell that yeah. Yes. And then there's the one who thinks they're in charge who goes, "But I could be wrong. But I could be wrong." Right? Who's like, "I know what's right, but I don't know. So Ben Stiller was that one who's like, "I'm in charge, but I could be wrong." Lisa Kudrow was the one that was just doing everything. She was the one that was actually in charge. She won that escape room for them. But I have to give the shout out to Adam Scott because he played the escape room like I play the escape room. He was just like, we have to put on these clothes. We have to have a picnic. We have to have, we have to act like mimes. He was so theatrical and none of it was ever right, ever. But I loved him for it. Anyway, it was just a one-time thing and I'm really, really sad. I would love to see different celebrities do it. Maybe that's why they won't, because I would find it very vulnerable to do an escape room and be recorded. Like, I feel like that would be a a very revealing kind of performance. Oh, yeah. Which is why I want to make celebrities do it. I do want to say that um, it only has two reviews on IMDb, and it has a one-star review, and it has a 10-star review. So and the one star review is very divisive, this show. The one-star review. And again, this was, it was for charity. It was for something. Have you heard of something called Red Nose Day? Oh, where they wear the clown nose. They do it at Walgreens, right? I feel like Walgreens yeah. is always where I see like the people buy a wearing nose them. at Walgreens. Yeah. I lived in um, Manchester in England for a long time, and Red Nose Day started in the UK. So, like, it's normal for me, and they, it's huge there. It goes on and on. But um, bear in mind, Red Nose Day is a children's 
charity for sick kids in hospitals. It's I'm sure it's more specific than that. But anyway, the, the one star review is for, by someone named Arf Dog with a W. And they say that, first of all, I never heard of the charity, but the Red Nose Charity has to be the worst name for a charity ever chosen. Aww. It sounds like a bunch of drunks. It's for sick kids. And then and it's about um, a clown nose, like trying to please make people happy. All right. Whose mind goes to drunks when you hear red nose? You I see know. Patch Adams, like <laughs> and then they say, but this should not be surprising, and that the show is simply horrible, boring beyond belief. You'll space out in three minutes. I just dis- I disagree with our dog. The other review says, fun to watch them figure out all the puzzles to escape. And I agree with that. <laughs> it is that was 10 stars. It was fun to watch them figure out all the puzzles to escape. <laughs> yes, it was. So that's it. That's it. We, I love that we both, in our escape inaugural rooms. episode of shows, yeah, escape rooms. I think ultimately it's just our pop culture's escape rooms. Then. Well, and escapism, I think, is certainly uh, uh. everywhere right now. Just a yes. nice paint broadly. Let's, everything I'm doing is some version of escapism. At the same time, well, escape rooms, I keep reading, are probably going to, they're going to take a hit. Oh, they're yeah. But, I mean, because really there well. were so many of them and you can't, I mean, how could you possibly clean a room? Because the one that we normally went to, they've been sending out, like, we have been spacing out participants and you always get a private room now. And we we clean the room between, I'm like, there's no way, you don't know how many things people have coughed on or ever you touch everything. Like I just, I'm not, which is really sad because I really like escape rooms, but I love them. And by nature, they're just always enclosed. They're always in small spaces. It's very bad. And this, yeah, I think we're, we're huge lovers. You did, you made your own escape. We both you too. made our own escape rooms. We're both teachers and for our various classes, we made escape rooms. So. I'm now doing virtual escape rooms. Um, I've done one live with a bunch of six to 10 year olds. So I was the controller and they had to tell me what to do. It, it worked pretty well. And um, in October, I'm doing a set of them for our Halloween since we probably aren't going to get to go trick or treating. So I'm doing them for a set of our homeschool co-op kids. Uh, another That's parent amazing. and I are creating them for like a Halloween themed virtual escape room. So That's much better than my idea, which is to stand kids out in their yard and throw candy at them as I drive by. A virtual <laughs> escape room is much better. Kudos to you. I still want to throw candy at children. I'm sure they would love it. Maybe I'll just throw peanuts at squirrels. <laughs> I'll dress up my squirrels. Okay. You'll, you'll have to buy extra peanuts since they will already be expecting your normal ration. Ooh, fair enough. Chocolate coated peanuts or something, or or circus peanuts. Ooh, I don't. Oh, that'll kill them. I don't. I don't want to feed my squirrel sugar. I love them too much for that. Okay, so finally, our our third category is a research topic. Something academic? Is that what we're we're, we're kind yeah, of yeah? Something academic e? Yeah, like a academic light. Yes, we're yes. not going to go into like I had a Kant a Kant book club over the summer with my husband as the participant. So that's what I do for fun to give everyone an idea of the level when we say academic light. 
Okay, what is your research topic? Mine's actually really depressing, but I just couldn't stop thinking about it. So I'm just gonna bring it. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna dive in. All right. So I I read this article about like your surge capacity is overloaded, and that's why you feel so bad, right? Like that was the headline. Have you have you read this? It went no, around. I okay. Tell me about you, it. you should. It is called your surge capacity is depleted. It's why you feel awful, and it's by a woman named Tara Hale. And it's basically about how at the beginning of the pandemic, she was talking to her psychiatrist and like, I feel fine. This is fine. But then by a few months in that she was not feeling fine. She said, by my May 26th psychiatrist appointment, I wasn't doing so hot. I couldn't get any work done. I'd grown sick of Zoom meetings. It was exhausting and impossible to think with the kids around all day. I felt trapped in a home that felt as much a prison as a haven. So, uh, kind of escape room themed there, right? <laughs> and and then the part that I think really resonated with me is I know depression, but this wasn't quite that. It was, as I'd soon describe in an emotional post on a social media group of professional colleagues, an anxiety tainted depression mixed with ennui that I can't kick along with a complete inability to concentrate. And so basically this article just kind of goes into like why people might be feeling that way and why so many people are reporting feeling that way. But the thing that I specifically want to use as my research topic is that in this article, they quote Dr. Pauline Boss, who is an expert on ambiguous loss. And so that's the concept that I'm going to bring up as my thing. So ambiguous loss is um, the idea that you're dealing with a grief for a loss that is ambiguous. And it can either be ambiguous because somebody has is presumed dead, but you don't know for sure, right? Like, so somebody who's missing or yeah. you don't have proof, but you have to kind of exist in a world in which they are not there, but you're always kind of carrying this, maybe they're out there somewhere since, or it could be somebody who is still physically present but like maybe because of Alzheimer's or some sort of degenerative disease has taken their ability to like communicate with you and connect with you. So you're still kind of suffering a loss, even though you technically haven't suffered the loss yet. Yeah. So on a death, but they're not, they're not themselves. They're not there. They don't remember. Yeah. So this um, doctor has studied this concept of ambiguous loss and how it's much like it's harder to grieve. Like, the, the rules of grief are not the same when you have either of these kinds of ambiguous loss. And the reason they brought it up in this article is because they say that so many of us are suffering a kind of ambiguous loss of not necessarily people, though in some cases you sort of are because we probably have a lot of relationships that absence the nurturing of in-person interaction might not survive this pandemic, right? Like there are lots yeah. of relationships that will, but there were also plenty of acquaintances and situations that even if nothing tragic happens to me or the other person on the other end of that relationship, we just might never connect again, right? Like we kind of are likely losing our window of, of time to interact, right? Yeah. For so many things, I, I know that it's seen as such a plus, right? That people are going to work even if everything can quote unquote go back to normal, which of course it won't. But if we're able to find a vaccine, we can live on with our lives, um, that things like working from home is going to be much more common. So things like even just your coworkers that you see every day, that's going to go away so much that I haven't even thought about, yeah, those relationships. 
And the other kind of ambiguous loss that I kind of associated with it and feel like they were implying in the article is just sort of the loss of our like routines and habits. And like, when am I going to eat in a restaurant again? Like, I don't, I literally have no idea. Like, is it a year from now? Is it never? Like, is like, when, when will eating in a restaurant again be a reasonable act in my, again, remember I'm living in a place where we're passing ice cream through the the doors right so um or like even like I know that the playgrounds will be open again but I was thinking about you know my daughter is going to turn 10 will she still be playground age when the playgrounds are open again right like that I see the very last time that she played on a playground and now I have this kind of ambiguous loss of like oh man, I lost all those. I lost the rest of her playground years, you know? Um, it, it really hit me when we we got in the car to, to go um, to your childhood home and she didn't need her child, her booster seat, which- Cause you're not driving anymore. <laughs> so the last time you need that. And that's the playground thing is, it's these, it's these things that might seem small, right? It's not like missing a first step or something. But also your daughter was in the process of, which was an amazing project, raiding every playground in the city in a very, very detailed way, which was a project I loved following. And it's, yeah, these things that we haven't even started to think through. And the idea of plan, you and I love a to-do list more than almost and. More than escape rooms, I think we love it. Yes, no, list. no, a to-do list is like core to our very being. So the the not the inability to have a to-do list or the insanity of making a to-do list. I don't know if you've been making or, to-do lists. Still. What's worse, making a to-do list when you don't know if you're ever going to be able to check off those things. Like that is that's literally a nightmare that I have. Right? Like, that's the, your horror movie. Yes, yeah, just a, to, a to-do list of impossible things. Your I was right moment is going to be like this curtain goes up and someone's like, ha ha. And it's just going to be like a room filled with these undone to-do lists. And yeah. And I'll just curl into the fetal position and I give up. This is too much. Yeah. It's not going to be jigsaw. It's going to be check mark will yeah. be your killer <laughs> until you can check my marks. Oh God. Yeah. All these things. Um, I had in January, my nephew was born and I've been unable to see him. I was lucky enough that I was in Kansas City where um, my brother lives and my sister-in-law when he was born. That's the last time I saw him. And I know that happens all the time, right? That people don't live close to family, but it does. I don't know. It's the not knowing. It's It's one thing if we live very far apart and they would see him in two years. I'm going to miss the first two years of his life, but I know that, but it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I, and like, I don't what's know. the, what's the end point? Like you, I mean, cause I think that humans in general are pretty resilient and pretty able to deal with not fun things. If we know like, okay, I have to do this until X. I have to do this for two months. I have to do this for three years, whatever it is. But when it's like, you have to do this and maybe it's forever or maybe it's for a month or maybe, you know, just that uncertainty of it. But then that goes back to the the thesis of this entire article, which is that that's surge capacity, right? Like you're operating beyond your normal limits because you know it is temporary, 
but that our brains, as good as they are at doing that, also eventually go, no, I did that enough. I don't care if the crisis isn't over. I'm done, right? Like, And, and then so- you drive by a field of people <laughs> playing sports in the hundreds. Right. When it's actually way worse here than it was when the shutdown started. Like they would have been better off if they had just done that when they were taking it serious because now it has spread to the Midwest. Now is when we've all given up and are just acting as if nothing's happening. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm assuming the article didn't go, oh, here's like a surge protector for you. There's no um, protector. I mean, you know, it, it gives some general tips for like well-being and self-care, but I think that the real benefit of it is just kind of yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> right. Like we know that we're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, so <laughs> but I think that the the benefit of it is just kind of having some language for these feelings that I've never had before. Right. Like, I don't yeah. think that like, and I think that ambiguous loss really stuck with me. Right. Ambiguous like this, loss is super helpful. No, that was super helpful for me because I've been feeling just wild. I just, the only way I've been able to describe, you described exactly the way I've been feeling. And the only way I've been able to describe it is that I feel constantly overworked and I know I'm doing things. I know I am working. I, I'm getting my job done. I feel like at the end of the day, when I say, what did I do today? I just sat there and stared at a wall. I've just been calling it staring at the wall. I remember all the things I've done. Like I I was actually talking to my counselor about this. I'm like, I could literally like, you know, I love my to-do list, right? So I can go and look at my to-do list and be like, oh, look, I checked off 15 things today and five of them were big and took a lot of effort and I should feel accomplished. But I go to bed every night feeling the way I feel when I just kind of veg out and watch bad TV. Like every night I feel like that, no matter what I have done. That definitely makes sense for the surge protector, but also because yeah, simultaneously it feels like at least what I tell other people, but cannot. And I think you can either. I think you would tell most other people this, who you love in your life, that if you can make it through the day and your family is alive and not um, completely traumatized. And that's right now, that's, that's, good like, enough. that's so much. At the same time, it's, how is that enough in the world today? For There's how so long? It goes dying. right back to like, till when, right? Like when people ask me how I'm doing, I'm like, I'm fine, I guess. But I can't remember the last time I was anything more than I'm fine, I guess. Right? Like, yeah. Is, the, is that it now? Is that now the the pinnacle is like, yeah, well, nothing terrible is happening to me as an individual right this moment. So yay. Like I, I so I'm not going to, yeah, I have nothing personally to complain about. So it's a win and the world is on fire, but we haven't figured that out yet. So I feel unaccomplished every day. Yeah. I, I, good for, good for you. Um, I'm jealous that you can remember what you do, but then that make that, I, I don't know if that makes it better or worse that you can remember what you do and still feel unaccomplished. I literally, I got an email. This is not a humble brag. I'm so sorry. We're talking about this and now I feel like a jerk. Um, but I don't, again, a lot of times I'm like, well, what did I do over the summer? Nothing. 
I wasted my time. I started you are allowed to just brag, brag, by the way. Okay. You're amazing. And you should get to talk about that. I feel like this sounds like a humble brag because I'm talking about my amnesia, my my staring at the wall, COVID-19 surge, protect, over-surged brain amnesia. But the only reason I remember I even did it, I got yesterday, um, I had applied for this grant for um, a book project. I had to make up all the chapter outlines, come up with it, write this grant. And that's a lot of work. And yesterday I got an email saying I had made it into the final stage for this grant. So I haven't gotten it. So I'm not bragging about getting an arts writing grant, but um, I literally did not remember doing that until I got that email. I, I forgot. I didn't know I applied for it. And that's hours and hours and hours of work. Yeah. yeah. I had something really similar happen. Like it wasn't about anything as big, but I, I was in the middle of doing something I could not stop doing at that moment, but I got this sudden sinking pit in my stomach. Oh my gosh, I forgot to do something important feeling, you know, like, and so there was this, this thing that was for one of the classes that I teach that I was just certain. I'm like, you didn't post that. And you told them that you would, and it's going to mess up. And I just, I see your face because it's a terrible feeling, right? So, and I couldn't go fix it. Cause when I have that feeling, like, I'm like, I have to fix it now, 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 now. And I couldn't because I I had to finish doing the thing I was doing because it was both of my eyes are twitching. (laughs) And so then I went to finally get to go fix it. But now I'm in like a blind panic and I had already done it. And had just zero memory of having done it. Like just even looking at it up there, I'm like, Did, could somebody else have gotten onto my computer and written this? And put it there? Like, <laughs> no, but yeah, you're, if you if you get struck, if your computer gets struck by lightning, you're gonna lose some data. So <laughs> we're all scrambled. I think that's so helpful. You should definitely. I need I need the link to that. Oh, ambiguous loss. Ambiguous loss. Having a name, giving name to it is super helpful. Okay, my my research topic is um is dark in a different way. I I want to talk to you today, Michelle, about boobos, which is my new favorite word, boobo. Boobo, it's such a fun word. Do you know what a boobo is? I have zero idea what you're about to tell me. Um <laughs> boobo. It's the newest children's toy, Boobo. No, um, a Boobo, I was making a lesson. I teach art history. And you know this, I'm just explaining it. Um, and I was doing a lesson on plagues and plague depictions of the plague in art. And it's actually really, really interesting to me because um, most of the art we see, especially around the medieval era, that you think is showing you the plague is not. And this happens all the time. I found that this happened to NPR put up a story about plague art and they put the wrong images up. And then um, a lot of museums will mislabel art and say it's depicting the plague when it's not. And then even archives will do this. We'll say, here is a depiction of people with plague and it's not. And it's mainly because there's only, three kinds of plague. There's bubonic plague, septicemic plague, and um, mnemonic plague. I'm a little obsessed with plague right now. And it doesn't look like anything. It's not exciting. Like when you have the plague, it's not super visible, but you want to think, oh, it's the Black Death. And when we go to look in art history for these images, 
there are a lot of images, especially in medieval texts, of people covered in like bright red spots all over their body. And that's what people say is the plague. But usually that's leprosy or smallpox of some sort. So, so fun fact, if you're in a museum and you see people covered in red spots, it's not plague, it's leprosy. And there's really, really few depictions throughout the history of art of people shown having plague. And it's because it's not very exciting. And the only way you can tell people have plague is because they have a bubo. And a bubo is an inflamed lymph node. And you get it on your neck or you get it um, anywhere you have lymph nodes, but it's usually your neck or your side or your armpit, armpits, armpits or neck. And it's just, it swells up. It looks like a tumor. It looks like a goiter. It's not very exciting. And artists, I think, didn't, there's a lot of reasons artists just didn't paint plague, mainly because they thought that if you depicted it, it could be brought down on you. If you saw it, it could be brought down on you. Or they were busier just showing what they did about the plague, which was usually super problematic, um, which I don't want to go into, but look it up. Especially in France, they did horrible things to solve the plague. But buboes are these giant growths you get under your armpit or on your neck, and that's how you know you have plague. So if you ever see someone in a work of art with an enlarged tumor on their neck or armpit, then they have plague. And I have to admit that it took me until two days after I recorded that lesson for my students to realize that's why it's called bubonic plague. Because I didn't. A, oh. That's the noise I made. <laughs> I was standing alone in my kitchen watching my squirrels out my window and I went, oh, <laughs> bubonic. <laughs> I'm so happy you didn't catch on either. I was just so, I was, I'm sitting here thinking like, what did they do in France, the people? And why, so, yeah, okay. I mean. Don't worry, I'll look it up on my own. Look it up. <laughs> I don't want to, I just, it, it was, unco- it's, it, I, the, the images are terrible and they have images. They're like, this is how you solve the plague. And it was uncomfortable teaching it to my students. And then I felt like it was a lesson for today about scapegoating. Anyway. I'll I'll have that be an interesting thing. And I'm sure that um I'm sure that the uh web hosting service that my university goes through owns it and I don't have the copyright to it. So oh, I can't even watch that lesson go. I'm find so it. I'm so scared of what's gonna happen to academia because I mean I was at an institution where that was the plan was to hire like one subject matter expert SME to create content that would then be basically farmed for four to five years across all of these different general pl- classes taught by people who did not have the expertise just, and, but now they just have that content from, and they just have it. They could feed it into a neural network and have an AI professor. Although um, maybe I'll have to bring this in in another week. From what I know, when AIs use neural networks to create things like Christmas songs, they're usually not very good. Well, and I, I mean, I think about that a lot because I'm, I'm teaching, I teach on an online platform and my classes are mine. Like I see a lot of people who are having trouble right now because there was this huge explosion of online teachers because so much went online and there wasn't enough classes to meet the demand. So a lot of like the big 
spaces that have these on the platforms that have these online classes hired a ton and ton of teachers. But now there's a big problem of people stealing other people's classes. Like they'll go in and like read their descriptions and copy them word for word and then, you know, start delivering them as their own. But I, and people are panicking about it and rightfully so. Like it's, it's terrible that's happening to them. But like, I think about what, if people just saw the description of my class and tried to copy it, I, I don't think it would go well for them. It's just (laughs) all I can say. They can try. I, I get that. My class that I'm teaching right now is supposed to be just a survey of Western art, but I have named it. Oh fuck! Now what? <laughs> so try stealing that. Yeah, t- there is like this performative element to good teaching that requires you to be connected to your material in a way that you can't just pick up out of a box and drop down. You know, like I. It's yeah. 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 Okay, that was, thank you everyone. That was our soapbox about teaching out of love. And if you love what you do- We'll get on that every episode, thanks. If you love what you do, you will work a million hours a day. I myself, speaking of squirrels and plague and loving what you do, filmed, I I think I told you this, but I filmed, um, I I do introduction videos because it's a class that's online And so I never get to see the students. So I try to have fun intro videos and I put on my full regalia, which if you don't know, um, when you, like when you go to a graduation ceremony and all the professors are wearing their full robes and stuff, that's like academic regalia. So I put that on because it costs a lot of money and I never get to wear it except at graduations. So I dressed myself up in my regalia, which looks like Harry Potter cosplay because I went to school in the UK and I filmed myself in my full regalia shooting a toy bow and arrow at squirrels. And I feel like, and I just have to pause to remind you that these were squirrels who were already so traumatized by the squirrel murders (laughs) that they had stopped coming to your yard. Michelle, I I'm the squirrel murderer. That's what I do all day. And I can't live with, I can't live with knowing. So I wipe my blank. My blank. <laughs> that's the connection between all of these things. I've built, I, that's, there we go. I've built a horrible, um, I built a horrible torture house in my backyard. Squirrels. Which they make squirrels go to. You lured them there with the peanuts. <laughs> now you shoot at them. And then it is a series of escape rooms for squirrels in which they can choose to work together or fight each other. And they've been murdering each other like gangbusters, man. No, this is not <laughs> no one. I'm, I'm totally joking. And I love my squirrels. I shot the bow and arrow and edited it. In, I edited it into footage of the squirrels later. <laughs> But if we want to try to make connections. Yeah, I think it's time. All right. So the something weirds was the sports fields versus the ice cream hole, right? And I'm sorry, I'm sorry that you I turned your very surreal experience of going somewhere where people are being ca- careful about COVID-19 to where someone isn't. I made that about ice cream. <laughs> sorry. I think it's a it's a good shorthand. You know, okay. Ice cream holes. We didn't get rid of ice cream. We're not. We're not joyless. No, we might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that the peanuts in the mail, male peanut, our subgenre of this weird horror movie situation. Somebody help us with the name. Celebrity escape room, ambiguous loss, and boobo, boobos, boobos. Those are our six things that we have to connect. Okay. So I am going to say, maybe this will help us, that squirrels often carry bubonic plague. The reason I got obsessed with play and squirrels, the reason I can name all three plagues, is that Colorado, I live in Colorado, and Colorado is one of the few states in the U.S. that consistently has reported case of plagues. In 2017 and 2015, they had human cases of bubonic plague. And then in this year, July 2020, a squirrel had bubonic plague. So So it's here. It's real. And I feel like the obvious connection between all of these things is that we're kind of living in like giant escape room tests where it's like, are you going to work together or are you going to go your own way? Right. Like, are you going to, and, and that it does much like in some real escape rooms, if you don't agree and work together, you, I mean, you can't solve the problem by yourself if the partner is not going to, to play. Right. And I feel like a lot of us are at that point with what's going on, at least in the United States, with the pandemic, we're like, what I, I can't do all of it. Right. Like I can't play on my own and I don't know what to do. We've done all of the riddles and puzzles we can solve. And some people are playing a different game or not helping. I mean, yeah, yeah. There you go. There, that's a real dark. It's your drive, right? You you drove through a very different area where it's a different situation. It fits um, the boobos. Yeah, and and I kind of like to think um, that getting the peanuts in the mail could have been an escape room. I love the idea of a by mail escape room that you just force a friend or someone you know or a stranger into playing. We should design that, you know, with all our spare time. Yeah, we have so much spare time. Uh, (laughs) I feel like we should run away together. Sorry, husbands. Um, And just like make, become like new wave escape room creators. That's weird. That's like the new bed and breakfast dream (laughs) for middle-aged. But like bespoke ones, right? Like carefully crafted to your, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. like you can't do escape rooms anymore. We talked about that, right? The escape room is dying as an industry. Sorry, escape rooms. But people still want to play them clearly, right? Because like the horror movies are showing that impulse conspiracy theories are showing that impulse we need to do bespoke socially distanced safe escape rooms there you go but your 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 connection was much better than my connection was like i want to i want to make escape rooms for squirrels and my friends and then yours is we have to work together as a human race right now and some people aren't It can go either way. I think, I think, I think they're both valid. Both involve ice cream either way. (laughs) There you go. That's it. They work. 
Love it. Done. Go look for booboos in museums. Well, oh, museums are opening back up, so. And there's all those virtual museums. You can tour them. I've got to say the um, Metropolitan Museum of Art, if anyone cares. Their website, because they were shut for so long, they have released so much free stuff. Because if you give people who run museums or, or librarians any spare time, they will just solve problems. Like, that's just... Yeah. I. I honestly kind of wonder what would happen if we just gave my city's entire budget to the library system. I think that it might just, they, because I've just seen them step up left and right. They're like, oh, there is a ton of people laid off. We will, we'll have food at the, we'll have food at the drive-thru. If you don't have a car, come walk up and get some bags of food at the library, right? Like they just, yeah. I just feel like they're so efficient at figuring out what the community needs and then delivering it. And I'm, and, and I'm like, why aren't we all, why don't we do that yeah. everywhere? Why don't we just let them be in charge? Yeah. Librarians should be in charge of the world because they will do things in their spare time. Meanwhile, our history professors, at least in my experience, will just play dress up and shoot at squirrels. <laughs> don't give them, the, don't give us the world. <laughs> give it to the librarians, please. <laughs> to bring some more uh, challenging things next week that was so easily connected we both had yeah the same things I don't know I feel like that's going to happen a lot like I feel like even if we yeah. each try to make it get weird like if we're like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna find something that will have no connection I feel like we're gonna come in and be like we picked the same thing like <laughs> we both picked we both picked alien zoos and <laughs> I don't know right. I'm gonna cool. I'm gonna hit the Stop. 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 Stop.